We are continuing our study of Simha. We are currently in class number 22. We're going to be giving this class for Refua Shalema for Daniel Ben Rahel. Last week, we began to discuss the location where Simha emanates from. It's important if we expect to get something, to know its location. If we don't know its location, there's no way to pick it up. It's like trying to buy shoes from a supermarket. It's not going to work. You can try all you want and look all you want. It's just not there. So the location of Simha, like we mentioned last week, is not in any part of the physical person. You won't find it in the legs of the person or the hands of the person. It's not even in the stomach of a person or the mouth of a person. Although there are physical pleasures in the world that should not be confused with simha, physical pleasures are not simha. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that's not what we're looking for. Physical pleasures by nature are, are short. They don't last for a long time. And they often come with side effects. Simha is not like that. Simha is continuous. It doesn't get interrupted. And its sweetness is constant. Constant 24 hours a day. That's the way it's supposed to be. So where is that located? That's located in the neshama. When the neshama gets its nutrition, the neshama gives off this great feeling that we call simha. Just to focus on that point for a moment, the Pasuk says in Tehilim, Mi ya'ale behar Adonai umi yakum bimkom kocho. Har Hashem means the mountain of God. It just means the mountain of growth and life. Everybody here was born and we're making our way up with Hashem's help. That's called Har Hashem. Mi ya'ale behar Hashem says David HaMelech, who has the capability of continuing to rise, not only to rise, but to stay. Sometimes people rise and they fall. There is a koach that makes a person go up, but then there's another koach that makes sure that you stay. Me, who can do that? Says David Amelah. So he lists a number of things, which I'm not going to go through today. Neki chapayim, have clean hands. Bar levav, a pure heart. I'm focusing today on the next few words. Asher lo nasa lashav nafshi. It's the person, Hashem says, 
who is not carrying my soul lashav for no reason. The word nafshi, really it should say nafsho. It should be the person who doesn't carry his soul for no reason. But the word nafshi is being used, my soul, because it's Hashem who's speaking. And our soul is really given to us by Hashem. It's actually a part of Himself. That's why we're called Selem Elohim, or an image of Hashem. Hashem gave us a little piece of Him. It's called Helek Eloah Mimal. We have a little piece of Hashem inside of us. That's why Hashem says, I gave him nafshi. I gave him from my neshama. But he's carrying it around for no reason. Because if all you do in this world is eat and drink and sleep, so then your soul is being wasted. You're walking around with something very precious, but for no reason. So this person who's going to be successful, says David HaMelech, is the person who will say, I don't walk around with a nefesh, with a soul, for no reason. My soul has a reason. And continues the pasuk, Velo nishba lemirma. And this person that we're talking about, who's going to be matzliach in this world, is a person who doesn't swear falsely. Now it seems a little odd that there's a lot of things that we humans can do wrong. To choose one specific item called swearing falsely as the item, who is the person that's going to make it to the top if you don't swear falsely? How often do people swear? and swear falsely. Is that really the formula to get to the top of the mountain? No question that swearing falsely is a bad thing. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying it's not something that we have to deal with every day. How many days a year do you deal with swearing falsely? And yet, says David HaMelech, if you want to get to the top of the mountain, you don't swear falsely. And guess what? I don't swear falsely. I don't remember swearing falsely. So I should be at the top of the mountain. What does he mean? Does he really mean just, just because I don't swear falsely, I got to the top? So Hazal explained, there's something else going on here. It doesn't mean a person who doesn't swear falsely in the way we think it means. There's a Gemara in Masechet Nida. Part of this Gemara is well known, the other part maybe not as much. And even if you know it, it's very hard to understand it. But I'm going to read it for you first, and then we're going to try to understand it. Be warned that when you first read it, you're not going to understand the word. And you're going to be saying like, why am I here today? That's the kind of Gemara this is. But we need a little patience, because usually from these types of statements, you have a lot of wisdom. Just got to figure out how to, how to dig it. The Gemara says that when a child is ready to be born into this world, so he doesn't just pop out into the world. There are certain procedures that take place before he's allowed to enter the physical world. So the Gemara says, what you probably know, 
is that the Malach comes and he slaps him. And now he forgets the Torah that he learned. We're not going into that today. What we are going to learn today is the following. It says the Gemara, misham. He will not be allowed out into the world. Ad oto. Until he swears. They make him swear. Interesting. That means every one of us, before we came into this world, we had a Shavua. We swore. Says the Gemara, what is he swearing? Mahi ha-shevua shemashbe'in oto, says the Gemara. What are they saying to him? So they tell him like this. Tehe tzadik. You're going down to the world. Make sure that you act righteously. Make sure you do good. Get involved in good things. Make something of your life. Ve'al tehi rasha. Swear to us, not only are you going to be good, but also don't be evil. It's not necessarily the same swear, by the way. A person may not be a rasha, but also may do nothing good. They tell him two things. A, don't get involved in bad things. And B, make sure you become something. Make something of yourself. Make sure you're growing. Make sure you're becoming a great person, a tzaddik, a tzaddiket. Then they tell him, and even if the entire world talks about you and says, oh wow, this person, what a tzaddik, what a tzaddiket. You're hearing it all day long. People are telling you, wow, you're a great man. You're a great lady. You're unbelievable. What a Baal Hasid you are. You're so special. Sometimes after a while it gets to your head. You say, wow, yeah, I'm really special. Says the Gemara, swear, he says, even if they tell you that, don't believe them. Which means, in, in, in other words, don't test your righteousness based on the comments of people. Because people might give you compliments, but they don't really know you. Or they don't even know how to behave, or excuse me, how to judge what's called good or bad. Just because someone tells you you're great, it doesn't mean that you're great. First of all, they don't know you. And second of all, who says they know what great means? So therefore, the, the yardstick is not what people say. It's not important what people say. Of course, it's always nice if people give compliments. It gives us strength. I'm not belittling that. But don't believe them. Just because people think that you're good, that doesn't make you good. That's the swear. So again, sounds like we swore three things. Number one, swear that you're going to be a tzaddik. And we said, yes. Because if we didn't say yes, then I'll take us out. And number two, swear you're not going to be a rasha. And then they says, and by the way, when people tell you you're a tzaddik, don't believe them. Doesn't mean they're always wrong. Just don't rely on them. You have to know really if you're doing good. Just because they think that, how many people we think are big tzaddikim, and one day we realize they're big disappointments. So therefore, we don't know. Don't let other people be the judge of your righteousness. Good. Says the Gemara, where is this Shavu'ah mentioned? The Gemara says, the Pasuk we just read earlier, Velo nishba lemirma. When David Melech says that the great person 
is the one who doesn't swear falsely. He doesn't mean that if someone takes you to court and you're swearing. He doesn't mean that. He's referring to the swear that we all took when we were still coming out into the world that the great person doesn't go against that swear. If you uphold the swear that you took before you came into this world, that's what it means. Lo nishba' lemirma. A person, the swear that he took, he's not going against that swear. He's fulfilling his words. That person is going to make it to the top. That's a Gemara in Masechet Nida. Now the truth is, it's a nice Gemara. It's understood. But when you look, when you think about it, it's very hard to understand. Let me explain why this Gemara for me is very hard to understand. I understand all the words. And I even have no problem if Hazal tell us that's what happened, even though I don't remember it. And you probably don't remember it. But I'm okay with that. Because I don't know a lot of things. So if they tell me this is the way it was, that's fine. I'm okay with it. What I'm not okay with is when I read it, I can't begin to understand what this Shavu'ah is doing for me and you. And let me explain my question. We have Shavu'ah. We have Shavu'ah in Tanakh, for example. One of the more famous Shavu'ot is the Shavu'ah that Yaakov Avinu made his son Yosef swear. I think we're all familiar with the story. Just to bring it to clarity, Yaakov Avinu at the end of his life, he is about to leave this world. He's very concerned about where he's going to be buried. He doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wants to be buried with his fathers in Me'arat al-Machpelah. He calls his son Yosef, his loyal son, who is a very powerful man in Mitzrayim, and he tells him, Yosef, please, I want you to bury me. I don't want to be buried here. Al na tikbereni be Mitzrayim. Do not bury me here. im avotai. I want to lay with my fathers. Unsatani mi Mitzrayim. Carry me from Egypt. Ukbartani bikburatam. I want you to bury me there. What was Yosef's reaction to his father's request? Now his father's an old man. His father's a great man. His father's his father. Yaakov Avinu. And he's asking him for a favor. What does Yosef say to his father? Vayomar, he says to him, Anochi I'm in. I will do what you said. Perfect. Beautiful. Comes Yaakov Avinu and says to him, surprisingly, maybe even hurtfully, I think I would be hurt if my father was this to me. Vayomer, he says, Hishave Ali. No, no, no. Uh, not enough. I want you to swear. I think if our parents would make us swear after we said, of course we'll do it. What do you mean? No, no, swear. What do you mean swear to you? You don't trust me? He tells him, Ali. You're not leaving until you swear. So he swore. 
and Yaakov Avinu appreciated, he bowed down to his son Yosef. And of course, whatever happened, it happened after. How come Yaakov Avinu makes Yosef swear? Was he really worried that Yosef is not going to fulfill his father's wishes? People, when they hear their father ask them something, especially in that type of situation, person is on his deathbed, they'll do anything. I know a person that has been wearing seat for, I don't know how, 20 years? Every single, not the most religious person, because his father told him when he was dying to wear seat. They'll never take off a seat. So it's a very special time. We're talking about very special people, loyal people, good people. What are you making your son swear for? What is the idea behind that? And the Torah writes it as if it's something important that we should learn from. Is that what I'm supposed to learn? That I should make my son swear on things when he tells me I'm going to do it? Where's the trust? So the Ramban deals with this question and he says the most beautiful thing to know. He says, of course he trusted him. Of course Yaakov trusted Yosef. But he knew that Yosef is going to have very big challenges in carrying out this request. This was not a simple matter. Paro is going to stand in the way. The Egyptians are going to stand in the way. They're not going to let this happen. They want Yaakov there. First of all, it's a great honor to them that Yaakov is buried in Egypt. And second of all, they looked at Yaakov as their beracha. From the minute Yaakov landed in Mitzrayim, there was no more famine. Yaakov brought a blessing to Egypt. And they saw Yaakov as their mazal, their segula. They're not letting him out of Egypt. So Yosef is going to have a very difficult battle. If somebody asked you to do something and you said, yes, I'm going to do it. Imagine someone asked you, I need you to go buy this from the store. And you say, of course. And you go to the store and it's closed. So then, okay, I tried, but the store is closed. We have a rule in the Torah, Anus Rahamana Patre. Anus means if you tried, but you can't do it. If you can't do it, God forbid someone is sick and he can't get up around tefillin. So they're sick. They're exempt. I'm not going to tell them, how come you're going to put on Guys are in a coma. They're not going to ask him, why not making berachot? So Yosef is going to hit a certain bump when he's going to do this as his father asked him. And it's going to get to a point, says the Ramban, when he's going to say, what should I do? I did the best that I can. I did promise my father. What should I do? I did tell him I'm going to do it. But I can't. Anus, I can't. They're not letting me. I can't go over Paro. What am I supposed to do? Says the Ramban, but by making him swear, Yosef yitzterech yoter lehishtadel. Meaning, he's going to find some sort of power within him because of the swear that he would have thought was not there before. I mean, when someone swears and they really keep their word, you know, for some people swearing means nothing. They don't, whatever they say is meaningless. But a person who really understands the value of a shivu'ah, of a swear, so they will reach a little deeper when they think it's not possible, but all of a sudden they say, but I swore. Oh, and they will work a little bit harder. Sometimes we don't realize how much koach we have. 
We think that's all we can do. And all of a sudden, we're put to the test. Oh, we could do more. Imagine a person tells you, here's a page. It's got uh, 3,000 words on it. I want you to memorize it. 24 hours. By tomorrow, I want you to read it to me by heart. You'll be like, sorry, can't do it. No way. Oh, you can't do it? Okay. There's a gun to your head right now. Watch. Here it is. It's a real bullet. Okay? If you don't come back in 24 hours and you memorize it, so, Baruch Dayan Aymet, you can say it from now. I bet you'll try. And I bet you could probably do it. You never thought that you could do it, but when you're put to a certain pressure like that, you can do a lot more than you think. And when a person has a shivua riding on his head, he's going to pull a little deeper. He's going to grab a little more than he thought he had. So Yaakov was actually empowering Yosef to help him fulfill the request by swearing. That's why Hashem made us swear in Har Sinai. Because a shivua gives a person more power and more ability. Just as Yosef would give up, he would remember, no, I swore. Okay, if I swore, I could do it. Let me see what I can do. So that's the purpose of a shivua. Is to empower the person that you lend someone money. They said, you're going to pay me back? How long? I'm going to pay you back in one month. Sure? Yes. Okay, swear to me. What? Why? I'm not, if I thought the person is dishonest, I wouldn't give them money to, altogether. I give money only to honest people. But I know that even honest people, when they're going to give back the money, they may have some challenges. They may have to go a little cheaper this year, uh, this, this month on their... Uh, their extravagant lifestyle, they may have to cut down certain things, they may have to work a little harder, they may have to get a third job, and they might get lazy. So it's not that I don't trust the person. Making people swear is not necessarily because they're cheaters and liars. It's because sometimes even good people, they get lazy and they just say, you know what, uh, whatever, I don't have it, what should I do? But really you could have it. If you tried, you could have it. Work harder, you could have it. How did you have that? How did you have this? How did you pay for that? A lot of times you say, I don't have. But you say you don't have, but you had enough for this and that and this. So you got to push somebody. How do you push them? You tell them, swear. Oh, when they swore, now they will think twice before they say, I don't have. That's the power of a shivwa. If that's the power of a shivwa, then this shivwa that we all swore when we were little before we even came into this world, makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't make sense. Because the purpose of a shivua is that when you're about to do what you're supposed to do, you remember the shivua, and then you say, oh, I swore, so I better be a tzaddik. I better not do this. I better not lie. I better not steal. I swore. Problem is, nobody remembers the shivua. So what kind of shivua is this? What was, what's the purpose what is Hashem doing to us? He's making us swear, yet we will never remember the swear. No human on the planet ever remembered that swear. So why would Hashem go through the motions of doing something that's really seemingly nonsensical? It doesn't make sense. You read this Gemara, and if you're really thinking, you say, come on, this is stupid. what is this? This doesn't make sense. What's happening here? What kind of swear is that? 
Anybody thinking reads this Gemara would think that. But of course we know Hashem doesn't do things for no reason. Very often we don't understand the reason. That could be. Always people ask questions and they don't understand. They say, this doesn't make sense. And you always have to correct them. No, no. Don't say that. Say, I don't understand it. Don't say, this doesn't make sense. You're giving yourself too much credit when you say, this doesn't make sense. Hashem's words make sense. Maybe you don't yet understand what He's saying. And you have to work harder. Could be. But don't say, it doesn't make sense. This seemingly... If a person would react, it doesn't make sense. Say, I don't get it. What do they mean over here? Let me tell you what I think it means. And I think you'll agree with me also. Our neshama gives off feelings that all of us could say, of course I felt that. Now, we have no idea why and where, but we know we felt that. The person that you helped, that needed something, just the other day, somebody came over to me and said, I had the best day last week. The best day of my life. Couldn't imagine. What did he do? He says, me and my children, we bought somebody furniture, they didn't have money to buy furniture. And we went and we delivered it and we built it for them. The whole day. He said, I can't tell you. It was the most amazing day. Now, what is amazing about losing money to buy someone furniture? When was the last time you saw someone lose money and say, oh, that was great. I love losing money. Oh, the market went down? I love that. It's great. I lost a lot of money this year. I'm loving it. Who loves losing money? What, what does that mean? They paid money. Cost them over $10,000. They paid money. They spent an entire day sweating, building furniture. What is it about that day that felt great? You write a check to somebody, you lost money. And you feel great. Why do you feel great losing money? You went and you helped your mother or you helped your father do something and it cost you. It cost you days. It could cost you months. It cost you money. You're sweating. You're worried about them. And somehow it feels good. You actually feel good. And this happens all the time. Now, where is that good feeling coming from? I understand if you ate something, your mouth says, yum, beautiful. Love that. I understand when the physical body smell something, see something. But what is it about us that when we give of ourselves to somebody, we help a little child get on his feet, feel good. We write a nice card to our parents and we're watching them as they read it because it feels so good to see them enjoy. Why? Why? What are you getting from that? Why do you feel good? The good feeling clearly is not coming from the physical body. Because if anything, the physical body should be crying. Because it's giving, it's giving up of itself. The answer is, the answer is, it's our neshama saying, thumbs up. 
We don't remember the swear consciously, but our neshama does. Every single one of us has a neshama that's sitting inside that knows very well what that swear was. If we knew about that swear, maybe it would be no free choice. I don't know. Hashem doesn't consciously let us know about the free choice, about the swear. But our neshama, every time we do something that is tzaddik, our neshama says, great. And all of a sudden, you feel, that's a great feeling. That's your neshama and my neshama saying, you're keeping your word. You're doing beautifully. How do you feel when you promised someone something and you did it according to what you promised? Somebody lent you money, you came exactly on time and you paid it. Ah, you feel so good. You feel good because you did what you said you're going to do. You fulfilled your obligation. Every time we do something that we swore to do, our neshama says, awesome, you're doing great. That's the feeling of simha that we have. It comes from the neshama who says, keep going. That was great. That's what you swore to do. Keep your word. And by the way, when we don't keep our word, we made another shivua. Remember, there are two shivuot, at least two. The other shivua was, don't do bad. Now, if I swore to do good, why do I have to swear to do not to do bad? Because there's something else in the neshama that also wakes us up. We call that guilt. Guilt is, again, something we can't find on the physical body. You feel guilty. You hurt somebody, and you know it. And you just feel bad. You feel bad that you did that to your mother. You feel bad that you said that. You feel that you embarrassed that person. You feel bad that you took that. Something called guilt. Guilt can be between man and man. It can be between man and God. That you feel bad. Where is that, where is that coming from? Which part of our physical existence is the feeling of guilt coming from? I saw one rabbi says beautifully that guilt is to the soul as pain is to the body. Just like you have a body. And when there's pain, now, nobody likes to be in pain. But having no pain, that is a disaster. Because pain alerts you when something is wrong. It sounds nice never to feel pain. But at the end of the day, if we didn't feel pain, we would be in tremendous, tremendous sakana, danger. A person, Lo'alinu, could be sitting over a stove burning and they wouldn't know about it. A person could have a huge car over his foot and they wouldn't even realize. They could be being pushed somewhere and they wouldn't know there's something wrong. They could feel a pain in their stomach. Actually, they wouldn't feel a pain in their stomach and they wouldn't know to go to the doctor. A pain is a system that alerts the person that he needs to either move, stop, check, do something. Something's wrong. A person without pain is in literal physical danger because he never knows when something is happening that he needs 
ASAP to get help, but he wouldn't know. The people who go to the emergency room or go to the doctors or the dentist even are not going usually because they're feeling great. It's because they're in pain. Pain sends them to the ER. Sends pain Pain sends them to the dentist to take care of themselves. Just like there's pain to the body, there's a pain to the soul. That's what we call guilt. When you're guilty, it's your soul saying, oh, you're breaking your sweat. What are you doing? Why'd you do that? You're not supposed to do that. You can't treat your mother like that. You can't talk to that person. Why'd you just get angry? What are you doing? Why you would, how many times a person in their life has felt it? I feel empty. I feel like I'm, I'm not doing anything. I mean, you could be doing a lot, but you just feel that you need more. That's your neshama saying, wake up. You're not getting what you're supposed to be getting out of life. You're walking around with a neshama, but it's lashav. You're not utilizing it. And you swore, it doesn't feel good when you swear to do something and you don't keep your word. That's our neshama who remembers exactly what she did before she came into this world. You should know that even though the neshama does feel guilt, Like I told you very often, it's subconscious. It's not that you remember, and sometimes even as you do something once, twice, three, four times, you could cover up the guilt and you'll feel clean. It's possible. It's possible that a person has a conscience-free act because they do it so many times that what used to feel guilty, it's possible to just cover up and cover up. Not that you forgot, your neshama never forgot, but you keep covering up your neshama, you don't feel anymore. The first time a person, God forbid, is mehalal shabbat, he'll feel something. The second time, he'll feel something. The tenth time, he won't feel anything. The first time you hurt or killed somebody, as crazy as it sounds, killing a human being, how much guilt would you have if you actually went up and shot somebody and killed him, and now his wife and his children lost the father and lost the husband. How would you feel about that? You'd feel, you, 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 you couldn't move on. But if, let me tell you, if you did it 10 times, by the 10th time, you won't feel a thing. It will be no problem. You will feel perfectly squeaky clean. In fact, Hashem created such a possibility because again, there needs to be free choice in life. If guilt is going to be so powerful that we can't move on, then there's no free choice. So Hashem made guilt. But at the same time, you can override it. It's, you could push the override button. What is that thing that Hashem created to override button? It says it in Devarim. Look, at the end of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, he says to Am Yisrael, I'm afraid that there'll be people who listen to all these curses that I just spoke about. Vehit barech bilvavo lemor 
Shalom Yihili. Meaning, even as he hears all of what I'm saying to him, he can react by saying, don't worry, Shalom Yihili. Which means, I'm good. It's not a problem. Nothing's going to happen to me. It's all good. There is such a creation that Hashem made called Shalom Yihili. That means even as you're feeling guilty, you have something that is going to give you a free choice. You can always say, even as you're feeling guilty, it'll be fine. We'll move on. It'll be okay. And then you won't feel the guilt anymore. But guess what? The guilt is there. And even if you don't feel it and decide to cover it up, it's there. And sometimes it comes out in the most unusual situations. For example, I'll give you a beautiful example of guilt that was never felt. But at some point, it came out. Yosef's brothers, they believed strongly that their brother Yosef needs to get killed. We're not going to go into that right now. But they had a bedin. They had all the proofs. They had everything they needed to support their conviction that Yosef, their brother, was a rodef. Yosef, their brother, is someone who needs to get killed. Let's not go through that now. It's not important. What's important is they believed in it. And they threw him in the bore to die before they sold him. You know what the Pasuk says after that? Something unbelievable. What would you do if you just killed your brother? Pasuk says, They sat to have a se'uda. Now, it's hard to believe. You have a se'uda when you have a brit milah. You have a se'uda when you have a wedding. You have a se'uda of Shabbat. They had a se'uda after they killed their brother. They had a se'uda. And if they just happened to eat, does the Torah need to tell us that? They did a lot of things after that. Why do we have to know that? Because the Torah wants to tell us how pure they felt. They felt not even an ounce of guilt. They felt they were doing the right thing. Their conviction was so clear and their actions was to the point. They didn't treat it any different than you would treat anything you're doing during the day. If I would ask you, why did you buy that? You'd say, why not? How could you eat and buy that thing? What are you talking about? I didn't do anything wrong. That's what Yosef's brother would tell you. you say, How could you guys eat now? And you just threw him into the pit. They, they would say, well, what do you mean? We did the right thing. I know what you're talking about. So how do you explain many years later, we're talking 20 years later, when they're in Mitzrayim getting food and they're having a very hard time, people are going in and out of Egypt, buying food, leaving, no problem. These men come and it's a disaster. Interrogations. One brother's put in jail. They're being accused of spying on the country.
What's their reaction? Listen to this reaction. Vayomeru ish el ahiv. This is in Egypt. They told each other as follows. It sounds like not only one. Vayomeru, vayomeru ish el ahiv. Somehow, all of them woke up and they said the following. Aval ashemim anahno. You know something? We're guilty. I'm feeling the guilt. When Reuben tells Shimon, you're feeling the guilt? Yeah, I'm feeling the guilt. Ashemim. I feel guilty. For what? Al-Ahinu. About our brother. This is 22 years later. For 22 years, they didn't think about him. They saw their father suffering. They saw all of the consequences. They did the right thing. It is what it is. All of a sudden, 22 years later, they're having trouble in Mitzrayim and they start talking to each other and say, hey, are you feeling a little guilty? She says, yeah, I am. About what? About Yosef. Remember? We saw he was pleading with us. And we didn't listen. You know how many things happened in 22 years? How is it that they felt guilty about this now? How come they weren't guilty 22 years ago when it just happened? Could it be? When it happened, they're sitting having a seudah. No, it's usually it's the opposite. Usually, you feel guilty. After a while, you forget. Here, when it happened, no problem. They're eating dinner. They're having a barbecue. 22 years later, they say, oh, we're feeling very bad. Why are you feeling bad now? Where was that feeling of bad, of guilt, all these years? And the answer is, the neshama is recording everything that you do. Your neshama and my neshama knows exactly what you're doing every day, every minute, every second. Sometimes you feel the neshama's guilt and sometimes you don't. How come you don't sometimes? Either because you've done it so many times that you just forgot that it's wrong and you don't feel the neshama's guilt. Sometimes you have such a strong conviction about what you're doing. You're so stubborn in what you're doing. You feel so strong about it that you totally ignore your neshama's feelings. There could be different reasons why your neshama didn't connect to you. But the neshama knows very well what you did and that you did something inappropriate. You did not keep your shivua. And sometimes it takes a catastrophe. Sometimes it takes a very difficult situation and all of a sudden you say, oh my goodness, I feel it. Now you feel it? Yeah, till now it was there, but you didn't feel it. The neshama that we have took a shivua, and it will never forget that shivua. And every time we act, our neshama is either applauding, that, that's what we call simha, or our neshama is saying, no good. That's what we call guilt. 
It's possible not to feel the guilt, like we just explained, but it's there. By the way, just as a side point, I don't want you walking out of here thinking that guilt is a good thing. Well, it is. Guilt is a very good thing. If guilt means I am someone special, how can I do this? That's a good thing. Sometimes there's very bad guilt that's not good. It's the guilt of I'm a bad person. If guilt is making you feel like a bad person, that I'm not good, I'm not capable, I'm a zero, I'm a failure, that's yetzahara guilt. That's not a good guilt. The good guilt is, I am so special. I have so much that I can do. I have so much ability. Why am I not doing enough? I can do so much more in my life. That guilt is very healthy and very productive and can bring your person la'alot to go up la'arashem. So back to our subject. Really, we could have spoken about this last week, but I just spoke about. Because when we speak about locating simha in the neshama, we have to know where it is. That's where it is. It's your neshama saying, Good job. The neshama will feel this simha when the neshama is getting its nutrition. Like I mentioned last week, in order to know what our mission is in life, we have to know two things. Number one, we have to know that there has to be a mission. Forget your mission. Forget my mission. You have to believe 100% with clarity that there is a mission. There is no way that you and I are here in this world just to pass this world for 10, 20, 30, 50, 120 and check out. There is no way that this world is the mission of your life. You have to know that. How do you get to know that? How can a person be convinced that there is a mission? Maybe I'm just here for whatever reason. So last week we started part one. Part one is you have to know that whatever Hashem does, look around, everything is purposeful. Everything has seder, orderly. Everything connects. We spoke about so many things last week. And that was a drop, drop, not in a bucket. It's a drop in an ocean. There is never, is no end to the chokhmah and to the wisdom and the seder that Hashem created in this world. And everything has a purpose. And every purpose connects to another purpose. And everything is intertwined. You see, Hashem doesn't do things just like that. So therefore, if Hashem put you and I into this world, if He made us, there's a reason. You have to know, there is a reason. Saying no reason doesn't make any sense. Just look around you, open your eyes. That's number one. The first thing you have to know is, there is a purpose. The second thing you have to know, 
and that's for today, is that everything Hashem does is good. I mean, not only is what He's doing purposeful, but everything He does is kind, is good. And how do I know that? How can I feel that? So again, we have to open our eyes. And we may not understand everything. But there's a lot that we do understand and we fail to look at. When you look around this world, there's so much that we could see that shows us clearly Hashem is interested in our pleasure. He wants us to enjoy. He doesn't need to give us anything. I mean, He didn't need to create us altogether. As guests in Hashem's palace, in this world, look at how He treats us. Just for example, look at all the foods that Hashem made. There's no end to the types of foods and ingredients that Hashem created for all of us. Whether it's the grains and the different types of grains, the meats and the different types of meats, chicken, fish, dairy products. The variety of fruit and vegetables, the spices, the different tastes. All these are bonus, extra. We don't need them to survive. In reality, a person can survive on a little pill. If Hashem would give us one pill a day to eat, we would swallow it, and that would be our nutrition for the day. We wouldn't need anything else. But yet he, Hashem made the whole process of survival so pleasurable. You walk into a fruit store, you can't believe your eyes. You know, we walk into fruit stores, we forget that Hashem made the fruit. We say, oh wow, Costco, what a, what a fruit department. Pomegranate, amazing. This store, wow. We get so excited about the guy who put the fruit on the table, but we forgot to get excited about the one who made the fruit. We forget. You look around and you say, what is this? Do we really need all this? You like green peppers? Great. You don't like green peppers? Red peppers. You don't like red peppers? We'll give you the other ones. Each one with its own taste. You don't like peppers altogether? No problem. Maybe oranges? You don't like oranges? How about apples? You don't like this apple? Don't worry. There's other kinds of apples. There's a sour apple. There's a sweet apple. Do you know there are 7,500 types of apples? You never know. You think there's three. I know. There's 7,500, count them, 7,500 types of apples. Just in case there might be somebody who didn't like number 7,499, 
So they're going to give him the 7,500 one, just to make sure that there's something here for everybody. You don't like apples? You went through 7,500, it didn't work for you? Maybe nectarines will do it. You don't like nectarines? Maybe plums. You don't like plums? Maybe peaches. You don't like all these big fruits? You know what? Maybe cherries will do for you. Nice red cherries. Grapes, maybe? I see you all getting hungry. <laughs> There's no end. You could walk into a store and you could be the pickiest human on the planet, but you'll find something. You want sour, you want sweet, you want sour sweet, you want... What do you want? All the different spices. Those spices were not man-made. Who made, who thought of the spices? Before Hashem made humans, that's what we say in Asher Yatsar, Asher Barayat Adam Bechokhmah, before Hashem made humans, He already thought of all the different pleasures to give them. He already thought about the different spices to make your life much more enjoyable. You could eat pasta without spices. Nothing will happen to us. We would survive. But I said, no, what? wouldn't it taste better with a little spice? Oh, how about that spice? Oh, yeah, that's a different spice. There's no end. You find cookbooks. They can, they can print cookbooks from today, every single day of the year, and you'll have more recipes because the combinations and the sweetness and the beauty and the taste is not... There's no end. Why... Do we need all that? If you had a guest in your house knocking on your door, say, I'm starving. Could you give me something? Give him something to survive and call it a day. No, no. Hashem is not interested in our survival. He's a Baal Hasan. He wants us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy different foods at different times of the day, different consistencies and different tastes in different ways. And he worked very hard, Kav Yachol. Hashem didn't work hard. But from our perspective, he put a lot of investment just to make us happier, just to give us pleasure. It's a beautiful world of kindness. Not just from the food, like we just mentioned, but how about the world? The beauty of this world. You look around you and you say, wow, it's a gorgeous world. There's the beauty of winter. Something about winter that's beautiful. But there's something beautiful about summer too. It's different kind of beauty. There's the beauty of the spring, but then there's the beauty of the fall. There are different colors of the trees that are changing. There's the smell of that cut grass that gives you, ah, it's great. There are the beautiful flowers. There's the beautiful greens. The lush carpets of grass that are covering the world. Not just covering it to make you comfortable and to look beautiful, but even gives water. It gives coolness. A ground that has grass is cooler. It's a world where you look around and see the breathtaking views and you say, wow. 
whether it's the desert that you saw or the oceans, the lakes, the forests, every single place you turn, you look around and say, wow, that is so beautiful. You just, it's breathtaking. The beautiful mountains and the beautiful canyons, everything in its opposite found its beauty in our life. You look up and you see the beautiful blue sky. You know how beautiful that is? You don't think we could survive if we had a dreary black sky? Every time I looked up, it was black, disgusting. Nothing's going to happen to us. We'd be fine. We'd live. If we didn't have ocean front, nothing would happen to us. If we didn't see the beautiful mountains with the snow, nothing will happen to us. We'd be fine. If the grass was not green and beautiful, nothing would happen to us. But it would be a little less pleasure. I just know I gotta make the sky beautiful. So every time they look up or look forward, they see that beautiful blue. And then sometimes there are clouds and even that's beautiful. The artists of the world go crazy. The artists of the world, all they can do is try to copy the beauty of the world onto a piece of paper. And they struggle to do that because it's very hard to copy the creator of the world. And even a day of rain can have a beauty to it. And even a cloudy day can have a beauty to it. There's beauty everywhere you go. It's a gorgeous world. There's nothing to talk about. That's a result of hasad of the creator. And it's all for our pleasure, for us to enjoy. It's very important to constantly remember that. This class is not meant to give you a lifetime worth of this feeling. It's meant to start you. But every time you go into a store, every time you go walking outside, every time you see a tree, every time you breathe in the fresh air, it's a, remi- it's a beautiful world. It's a world that's made for our pleasure. But there's a real little problem. We have a little problem. Says the Mishnah Perkei Avot, Ezehu Ashir HaSameach Bechalko, one of the most famous statements of Hazan that everybody has heard many times. Who is a truly wealthy person? Someone who's happy in their portion. Now unfortunately for most people, that statement is only... relevant to poor people. The rich people say, who's wealthy? The one who has money. What does that mean? But the poor person, if he doesn't have money, what what does he do? What's the second prize? They tell him, you, you are the sameach behelko kind. There's the rich guy. There's the guy who's ashir. Okay? And you are the ashir who is sameach behelko. It's like the runner-up prize. Okay? Who, who believes in this Mishnah? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that wealth is defined by a person who's happy with what he has, whatever it might be? Nobody believes that. I'm telling you, no one believes it. Everyone says it, and they all smile when they say it. Nobody believes it. The rich guy for sure doesn't believe it, and the poor guy is trying to believe it, but neither one believes it. 
but believe it. Because the words of the Mishnah are real and they are exactly the definition of wealth. I will convince you in less than 59 seconds that wealth has nothing to do with how much money you have. And it's not going to be a religious kind of convincing. Very simple. Wealth is not defined. I don't mean defined in Torah and mitzvot. I mean just defined, definition. Wealth is not defined by how much you have. Wealth is defined by how little you are missing. I'm giving you time to think about that. <laughs> One more time. Wealth is not defined by how much you have. Wealth is defined by how little you are missing. Let me give you a mashal to bring it home a little. You have a person who, when he made the swear to come into this world, they told him, hold on, you're a special case. We have to talk to you privately. Yes, what's doing? So listen, you are going to come into this world and you will never be able to own anything. Not a house, not a car, not a bank account, not clothing. You cannot own a thing. Bechavod. The guy says, what? What, what kind of life am I going to have? What is this? I'm going to go into, I can't own a thing? Who could live like that? They tell him, okay, we hear that. We're going to give you, because you're a special person, we saw how you swore very nicely. We're going to give you a code. It's a secret code. Nobody knows it. If you move your fingers in a certain way, wherever you are in the world, whenever you want, Anything you ever want, all you have to do is give us the finger code and you got it. You want a private jet now to Australia? Just go. Finger code, the jet will be right in front of you, pick you up and you're there. You want to buy, what, what kind of bag you want to buy? What, whatever you want. Whatever shoe you want, whatever you want. You want oceanfront? You just click. And you got it. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Okay, don't get so excited about it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so, people are trying to figure out this. And so. Now, let's think about this for a second. Play this imaginary world for a me- well, one second. There's a reason why I'm telling you this. If this person was a reality, would there be in this world anyone who is wealthier than this man? There cannot be a wealthier person. Because this man is not missing anything. Now, if you open Forbes and they will list, okay, who is the top 100? Guess what? 
he won't make it. Top 1,000, he's not making it. If they make the top 5 million, he ain't making it. Guess what? If they had 8 billion people in the world, he would be number 8 billion. He would be the poorest man in the world. Because unfortunately, Forbes, and we've been pulled into the same, same type of thinking, that wealth is measured by how much you have. So according to Forbes, this guy is very poor. But Forbes is obviously wrong. Because this guy is the wealthiest man alive. But he has nothing. Yeah, but he's not missing anything. It's possible to have a lot. But you're also missing a lot. Just because you have 10 million or 100 million, it doesn't mean that you are not missing. It could be that if you have 100 and you want 200, so you're... I'm still missing a hundred. Wealth is not defined by how much you have. That's a real definition. That's a real-time definition. That's not a religious definition. It's a logical, simple definition. Wealth is not defined by how much you have. You can have a lot, but you could still be very poor because you're missing a lot. Or you can have a little, and you could be missing very little. Now, of course, it's possible that money can help a person be missing less. It could. But very often, money could also make a person be hungry more. So it's not always that money makes you feel that you need less. It sometimes makes you feel you need more. That's the story of money. Is real. Wealth has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with how little you're missing. Now, why am I bringing this to you today? Because if Hashem has seder, purpose, and Hashem is kind, as is clear to us by some of the examples I gave. There's going to be something very wrong when we look into this world, we're going to say, wow, this doesn't make sense. Hashem is orderly, purposeful, kind. So how does this make sense? What's this? Listen to this. When we look around the world, Hashem created endless, if I say trillions, it's not appropriate, because it's way more than that. How many animals are in the world? Not just how many types, how many literal animals are in the world? How many rats are in the world? How many squirrels are in the world? How many bugs are in the world? How many ants are in the world? Trillions would be saying something, I don't know what the right number, I'm not so educated. There's a number that endless, the amount of animals there are in the world. And when we look around the animals of the world, we realize that they're very wealthy. Because if the definition of wealth means that you don't need anything, 
and you're a very wealthy person. And when we look around the animals of the world, they are super wealthy. A, they don't need to work. They don't need to get a job. They're not worried about putting food on the table. They have no parnasa issues. Their food is right in front of them. Food that grows on trees. Their berries that grow on trees or grass that they eat or leaves that are waiting for them. They don't need to go to the supermarket, take out their credit card and start paying for expensive food that they still have to go cook. And hopefully it will come out clean and tasty and hot and needs to be reheated and we need a refrigerator also and we also need a freezer and we also need an oven and we need two ovens and <laughs> right we need three ovens also for Pesach I'm sorry <laughs> and you know what ovens fridges freezers Food is not cheap. You better start working hard. Start pulling up your sleeves. Get a few jobs. Because you can't afford these things just by sitting home and doing nothing like the squirrel. The, the deer squirrel that's jumping around the trees. Ask him, what's your employment? He says, I don't need a job. He said, but I'll give you a good job. I'll pay you a lot of money. I don't need you. Could you imagine there's somebody in your life that you want to give a gift to? and there's nothing to give them because they have everything? What could you give a squirrel? What, which item could you give him in a nice box of hair? For you. I know you needed that. Nothing. Zero. He doesn't need you. He is super wealthy. He doesn't need your food. He doesn't need clothing. Could you imagine that? Every, every animal in the world, everyone, is given clothing at birth. They don't need to shop. They don't need to try on. They don't need to go fix and change and design. If they get fatter, the clothes get fatter with them. If they get skinnier. It's amazing. Beautiful. There you go. I know. That's what I'm trying to get to you. Do you understand what's going on here? Every little cat walking around looks at you and says, you wimps. Look at you guys in the freezing cold. You have 10 jackets on, a hood, you have earmuffs, and you're looking like this, screaming. And the cat's looking at you like, what's wrong with you? It's the truth. Cats don't need clothing. And guess what? To buy clothing, it's a headache. You need money, you need patience. And of course, the clothing from last year wore out or expired for whatever reason. So now we need to buy new clothing. And you know how it is. You walk into the store and they have a thousand things. They have nothing in the store. How could they have? How is it possible they could have nothing in the store? It's mind-boggling. Think about it. It is frustrating. Forget the money. Okay, I have the money, but I still can't buy the clothes. Oh, I got to get a personal shopper. Maybe they can find me the clothes. You understand what's going on? 
take the cow, say, uh, what's the wardrobe for this year? Here it is, sir. This is it. Shabbat, Purim, holidays, the same. Summer, winter. Beauty. Imagine that. Imagine cutting off your headaches and expenses. All foods and all clothing. Oh, I see. What a relief already. Ah, it's great. What a life this is going to be. And then we have housing. This is a joke. Really, it's a cruel joke. You come into this world, you need a house. Okay, well, how are you going to find one? Well, you got to pay a lot of money. Try to find a house in Brooklyn. <laughs> Try to find a house in Brooklyn. They give you a house this big, 20 by 80. That's it. That's all you found. $3 million. What? What, what are you talking about? What are you saying? Yeah, well, you know, it's very expensive to buy a house. And then you buy a house, you need furnishing, you need heating, Shema Yisrael. The bills, you need, you need air conditioning. All types of bills are coming from left and right. It's not cheap to live. You know that. And you got to buy furniture, and then you got to buy drapes too. And it's just, Every animal in the world is created with housing. Every ant has his home. Doesn't need you. Every bird has his tree. Every squirrel has its hole. Every cow has its pasture. They're good. They don't need anything. If wealth is defined by how little you're missing, humans were created very poor. Just off the top, we just counted three things that make our life very difficult. We have to work so hard just to live in a home, just to buy food, and just to be able to afford clothing. That's it. Just those three areas alone, they take over our life. And I wish that was the end of it. That's just the beginning. Because as we look around the world, we find that humans were given certain characteristics that are detrimental to their health and sometimes to their life. Honor. Kavod. We need it. We need Respect. We need respect from our spouse. When we don't get it, or not as much as we think we should get it, it hurts. We need respect from our children. When our children don't respect us, it hurts. We need respect from our neighbors. And we spend our days and nights 
worrying about honor. Do people like me? Do people care about me? Do people think about me? How come they didn't invite me? Are they going to invite me? Am I somebody? Am I not? Day and night, this occupies our mind. And it's the source of a lot of pain. When a person feels a lack of kavod, a lack of honor, or worried about a lack of honor, it is so painful. It sucks out so much energy from our lives. Why do we need that for? You think a squirrel needs honor? You think he walks around and says, hey, look at me. Notice me, please. You know, to get honor, you have to do a lot of things. It's not easy to get honor. You have to buy expensive things. You have to look like you're somebody. You have to dress always top, top. You gotta look, you know? Because you want honor. If you want honor, it's not gonna come cheap. You gotta work hard. You gotta sacrifice a lot. You can't just get honor and just sit home. I mean, you gotta do things. But cows, they don't need honor. They don't need somebody to give them a pat on the back and say, hey, great job, boom. They don't need it. We need constant hizuk. Every person we see, we need them to say something nice. Oh, you look great. Oh, beautiful. Wow, that was so nice. We're lacking honor. Squirrels aren't. Baruch Hashem for them. You're doing great. Jealousy. Jealousy is the single probably biggest cause of pain in our lives. It's so hard for us when we see somebody else who gets married and we didn't. It's so hard that they have a child and we don't. It's so hard that they are able to understand things so fast and we don't. We get jealous of our friends. We get jealous of our brothers. We get jealous of our sisters. We get jealous of our partners. We should be okay having a roof on top of our head with a bed and a couch. It's good. That's it. Done. But we can't. Because the guy next door painted. Oh, the guy got to paint now. Then the guy, after you painted, the guy, oh, he got marble steps. Okay, I was doing good till now. Now we got to get marble. Just as you put the marble, the guy knocks down his house. <laughs> Your house looked so good until the guy next door built Double the structure. All stones from who knows where. Your house looks so hazit next to him. And you're like, what is this? We're jealous of the guy's car. We're jealous of the person's clothing. We're jealous of his bank account. Jealousy, the pain, you can't imagine. One day we'll talk about it. Jealousy is probably the prime source of pain for a human being. You think the cow cares about the barn next door? 
You think he looks at the barn next door and says, whoa, that's a barn. I better get that. I need to get that. No, they don't care. Why should they care? What does it matter? They're eating, they're enjoying, they're good. They don't care about those things. They don't look at anybody else. It doesn't matter to them. So they don't have the lacking of jealousy that we have. We're lacking kavod, and we're lacking this midah, that jealousy destroys us. And it's not even close to being over. The class might be, but not this. <laughs> Human passions and lusts, our desires, it's constant frustrations because of our desires that we're not able to reach. Hazal say a person's not can person dies, he hasn't reached even a percentage of his desires. Lust. Yes, animals also mate. But they have a season, they have a time, and they're done. Humans, it's all day, all night, frustrations, relationships. People kill themselves because of lust that they're not able to reach. So much damage is caused. So much wasted opportunity for young people. Instead of building themselves and building their abilities and building their future, they waste their life by things that just frustrate them and they get nowhere with them. Why do we need that for? What is Hashem doing to us? He gave us all these lackings. Smoking, drugs, alcohol. Why would a human do something to hurt himself? Why do we have tendencies to hurt ourselves? You know how many people today, how many hundreds and hundreds of millions of people today are getting help because they're addicted to things that are hurting themselves, how much pain there is in the world? You think there's Alcoholic Anonymous for cows? You think they have issues with smoking? You think there are drug issues in the animal kingdom? None, not one. You put something in front of an animal and it's not good for it, it doesn't even bother. It knows to reject it immediately. Yet humans are regular destroying their own life. Why would Hashem give us such tendencies that hurt us, that destroy our future, that don't give us the ability to build ourselves. This is something really scary. I know you're probably not going to believe it. First of all, humans kill themselves. Suicide. It's a real thing. People literally go on the 30th floor and jump off. That's how much pain a human can be in that he literally can take his life. You never saw a cow jumping off a cliff. You never saw an animal say, okay, that's it, I'm done. Checking out. You never saw it, never happened. 
it will never you'll never see a suicidal animal because every creation is born with a desire to live just like humans but yet humans can actually get to a level where they want to kill themselves and if you say but doesn't really happen oh yeah do you know that in this country alone last year there were one 0.2 million suicide attempts. That means 137 per hour. That means every minute that we were here today, every minute there were three people trying to kill themselves just in the United States of America. That's a pretty difficult number to believe, but it's real. The animals don't have one. They don't have such pain. They don't need to relieve their life by killing themselves. Then Hashem gave us issues of getting along with each other. Shalom is pretty difficult to achieve as a human being. To live with your neighbor peacefully. How many people could say, I have a great relationship with my neighbor. Not a lot of people. It's hard to get along with our neighbors. It's hard to get along with our friends. It's hard to get along with our employees. It's hard to get along with our community members. Which brings a lot of headache and heartache and arguments and mahaloket. And this one is talking about that one. And she's talking about this one. And you believe what she said and I can't believe it. And all day long back and forth. All conflicts and issues. Even people with, we would say maybe midot maybe people who are working on their character, even boys in yeshiva who are dorming together. This guy wants the light on, wants lights off. He sleeps early, he sleeps late. He wakes up early, he wakes him up too early. He likes it cold, he likes it hot. so difficult to get along because each one is different he made every one of us different and then you go to marriage oh and forget about that marriage is like it just makes no sense the whole thing of marriage makes no sense it's not just roommates in yeshiva roommates in yeshiva at least they're both boys they think more or less the same they look more or less the same they have similar issues. Now you take a woman and a man, and they have nothing to do with each other. It's scary, like it's, they're very different. They don't think the same, they don't like the same things, they don't like to talk about the same things. She's talking about shopping and her makeup, and like, it's like, why do I need to listen to this? And he's talking about the stock market, and it's like, come on, get real, sir. And there's nothing, she's sensitive, he's not. He's stubborn, she's soft. He, there's no end for a marriage to work. Literally, you need a miracle. People think that, oh, what happened to the marriage? What do you mean? You should ask that when a good marriage. What happened to the marriage? How did it happen? It's a nes nisim, like keriat yamsuf, that a marriage should be a happy marriage. 
If you have one, you should be feel very, very fortunate and very lucky. Why would Hashem do this to us? Put us in situations that are very hard. We have brothers, we have brother-in-laws, we have in-laws, we have all type. There's like everywhere you go, you have issues. You, you got to be sensitive with that. You can't say like that here. You got to be respectful here. You got to stand up for that one. You got to kiss that one's hand. Yeah. It's so difficult. Animals don't have this issue. Why did Hashem do this to us? What does He want from us? How about raising children? Oh, that's a piece of cake. You have a child and all of a sudden the guy takes over your life. You become an avid. You become a slave. You could only sleep when he decides. It's true. Okay? He will tell you if you can go on vacation. He will tell you when you should come back home. It's all up to him. Your life going forward is no longer free. You are now an avid. So you say to yourself, okay, if, you, if, you know, if you're a new parent, you say, of course, listen, I'm going to invest now. But in a few years from now, they're going to come and tell me, thank you. I love you so much. All your sacrifice. You figure when they're like four or five. Once they hit four or five, they can start talking. They're going to tell you, you know, mom, dad, come on. You're, you're so special. What, what can I do for you? I want to be your, I want to be your servant because... You gave me life, you changed my diapers, you gave me food, you gave me everything in the world. So tell me, how can I be at your service? I'm ready for the rest of my life to be your loyal servant. That's what you're dreaming of when you're a new parent. You say, when the, so you go, you do it. And then they hit four and five and you realize, you know what, they're not mature yet, but for sure when they become teenagers, then they're really, they're gonna mature and they're gonna be all over it. That's what you're thinking, you're dreaming. Okay? And then you realize that teenagers, forget that the, the little one was awesome compared to the teenager. The teenager is the biggest headache in life. The guy's nuts. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has all types of issues. He's yelling and screaming. You ask him, how's your day? Good. What? What? Why? Why are you doing that? Why are you asking? Well, I just asked you how your day was. Your dreams are way gone by the time they hit 15. But then maybe you think if they get married and they leave the house, oh, then you could relax. And then you realize you just started. Okay? And like, and, and every step of the way, like, they can't do anything. You have to teach them how to eat. You have to teach them how to talk. You have to teach them how to go to the bathroom. You have to teach them how to walk. You have to teach them how to think. You have to teach them. And all this with resistance. It's not like you have a Talmud sitting, okay, teach me. I want to eat now. Teach me. I want to walk. Could you please teach me? It's not like that. Okay? You have to force them to do what they should be doing. You have to go down to school and meet with the principals three times a year because they're not interested in what they need to learn. What a headache. Oh my goodness. And then you also have to pay their bills. Okay? You have to pay for their food and you have to pay for their clothing 
And guess what? They don't even like what you buy for them. Why are you buying me that? You know I don't like that. And you have to pay for their car. And you have to pay for their wedding. And you have to get... Ask, you know, ask... Let me ask you, seriously. Ask the squirrel how his experience was with raising children. I'm serious. What, a, what an unbelievable thing. He has a baby. They tell him Mazal Tov. Two days later, the squirrel says to dad, Mom and dad, thank you very much. Shabuha Tov and Shabbat Shalom. I'll see you later. It's over. That's it. He's walking, he's hopping, he's jumping, he's eating, he's going. Beautiful. Now, Hashem made humans so hazit that they can't do anything till they're 20 years old. It used to be the age of bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. If it was up to me, I would double the age today. I think girls by 24, boys by 26. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, but, but you have to look at it from a planet view, and what is Hashem doing to us? He's killing us. It's ridiculous. We're never satisfied. Sickness. Humans get sick much more often than you than animals. Animals are much healthier. They don't need to go for a checkup every six months. They don't have to go to a doctor. They don't have to go to a dentist. You ever see a dentist clinic for for for, for squirrels? They don't need it. They have everything going good for them. It's unbelievable. Okay, I can tell you a lot more, but I'm going to stop now. I got you depressed enough. Bottom line, the bottom line is, there is no question that when you look at the planet and you start studying the little behemoth, the little big, 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 and you see everything the same. You see seder, you see kindness, and you see every one of them is super wealthy because they have everything that they need and they're not missing anything. Go count trillions of times. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And now you're waiting to see, okay, the human is the purpose of life. He's, imagine what he's gonna have. And you look at the human and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, was this a mistake? Was this some cruel joke that they were playing on humanity? And Hashem, just to show you that He can do it right, He does it trillions of times. That means we know He can do it. We know He can make us very wealthy. He can make us very, very happy without needing anything. But He made us different than everybody else. We have to deal with jealousy, with honor. We have to deal with food and clothing and shelter. We have to deal with family and children and marriage and relationships and 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 and, and there's more, much more. But the, the obvious message is clear. What has Hashem done to us? Why would He do this to us? We would be so much happier if He gave us what the what the simplest mouse has. We would have that, we'd be so much happier in this world. So much, look how much pain there is in this world. How much frustration there is in this world. How much anxiety there is in this world. How much difficulty people 
People are suffering. You see a person in shul, you have no idea what they're going through. People make comments, you have no idea where he's coming from. You have no idea how much people are suffering. Why did Hashem do this to us? It really, if you look at it, it looks like a very cruel joke. God forbid that Hashem should play jokes or cruel ones. But this is something that should bother every person. What is the reason that Hashem did this to humanity? Hashem will continue next week. Have a good day.